Hey, would you take your Bibles, if you have a physical Bible, you have a, a digital Bible, iPad Bible, iPhone Bible, some type of Bible. Let's raise it up today. Let's open our hearts and say this in faith. This is my Bible. It is God speaking to me. So I open my heart today to hear and receive the word of the Lord. And I want to remind you this morning that the production of the word of God or the effectiveness of the word of God has more to do with the soil than it does the seed. Remember Jesus talked about the sower sows the word and that somewhere on this ground, somewhere on that ground, somewhere on this ground, somewhere on that ground. And it wasn't the seed. All the seed was good. It was the ground that was jacked up or it was the ground that was healthy, right? So that's why we say I open my heart. Why? Because when we have open hearts and humble hearts and receive the word of God, that's when the word of God can grow. So we open our hearts. Would you open your Bible this morning to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. I'm on part five. I took a break last week uh, because I had a, a, a message about joy for endurance last week that the Lord just put on my heart to share. But I'm on part five of I Believe series. We have 10 messages. I usually don't go that long, but 10 messages th that long with the series. We usually go about five or six weeks or so. Uh, but this week, we're, this time we're going to go uh, 10 weeks. The reason why is because the Lord really led me before the summer during the springtime to step into what we believe and to really get it solid on what we believe. We live in a day where of deconstruction. We live in a day of reevaluating, reevaluating who I am as a person, reevaluating the church, reevaluating the family system, reevaluating your gender, reevaluating everything about your life. And you know, the Bible says the just shall live by faith. It's not that we don't need to reevaluate. It's not that we don't need to, to question things. In fact, questions sometimes are good because Jesus has answers. Amen? So it's not like don't ask any questions. You know, just keep everything where it is. Well, sometimes, sometimes things don't need to stay where they are. But I can tell you there are foundational things that we need to know we believe because the just shall live by their faith. And we're not of those who draw back. We're of those who believe to the saving of their soul. And Jesus said, I believe we're living in the last days, right? The last days of the last days. I don't know how long it's going to be. I don't make predictions or anything. But Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That's not just me. That's not just preachers or, or ministers. That's everybody. We're all supposed to make disciples. Well, how are we going to make disciples if we don't know what we believe? In fact, some people say, I don't feel comfortable making disciples because I don't want them to follow me. <laughs> I'm going to mess them all up, right? No, well, we need to know what we believe. And so what we've done is, is, uh, is we went through 10, 10 we're t going through 10 topics. In fact, if you don't have one of these handouts, raise your hand. Somebody's going to bring it to you right now. Just I want everybody to have one of, these, one of these handouts. But today is I believe in Christ's church, Christ's church. We went over, I believe, in salvation. I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Word of God. Today is Christ's church. Next week, I'm going to go into, I believe, in divine healing. Divine healing. It's going to be a good one next week. But this morning, I can, I can say, as I probably say every time, this is one of my favorite ones this morning, okay? Uh, I believe in Christ's church. What's the main point? You'll see it on there. Everybody, just grab um, a paper and take notes. Somebody may say, I don't want to mess up the paper because I want to be able to reteach it to somebody else, which is what I'd like for you to do. I'll email it to you, okay? Or we'll, we'll, we'll make it to where you can have all of these. Uh, they're just on front and back, and they're just questions and answers where you can personally disciple someone else. But this is about church. Somebody might say, why in the world is there church? I don't believe in church. It's just about me and Jesus. Well, that's, that's not true. That's not the way the Lord ever created it to be. 
In fact, in the book of Ephesians, you can put that scripture up, Ephesians chapter 1, the last two verses says this, he put all things under his, that's Jesus' feet, and gave him to be the head. Who is Jesus? Is Jesus the fullness of himself? No, Jesus is the head of himself. He's the head over all things to the church. And what does he call the church? Which is his body, which is what? His body, the fullness of him. Notice that if you break apart the church, then you break apart part of who Jesus is. The church is part of Jesus. So someone that says, I don't know about the church. I'm, I'm bitter against the church. The church may have hurt you. Let me tell you, the church may have hurt you. We've all had opportunities to be hurt by because the church is people. In fact, they say there's an equation that when you get to a certain number of church people, you, you can end up getting into division. That's two, right? <laughs> you just get a couple people in church, and you're going to get hurt or get into division. But listen, the church is Christ's body. It's his plan. It's his purpose. We're supposed to be the church and come together. And Jesus is, you ever met someone who's in love with their body? We have some boys, you know, that'll go work out, and some friends that'll all go work out, and they'll go to the gym, and they'll go there, and they're, and, and I, uh, one, uh, uh, well, I was glancing at the phone, and I'm like, what's this? You're taking pictures of yourself in the mirror, you know, selfies, and they're all like, you know, they're all doing all this kind of, I'm like, what are you doing? They're in love with their bodies, right? Do you know, do you know, you see some ladies that are in love with their body, they walk by, and they're, they do those flexes and those things. Can I tell you something? Do you know Jesus is in love with his body? You better watch putting down his body. You don't put down someone's body and not put them down. You, have you ever walked up to a person and said, man, you, your body looks fat today. And they say, what are you saying about me? Oh, no, not you. It's your body. Just your body. Well, your body is you, right? We, we better watch putting down the body of Christ. People. In fact, 1 John says, don't say you love the head, but don't love the body. Right? You don't walk up and say, oh, I love your head, but I'm going to kick you in the shin. No. No, we're all together. The body, the body of Christ, the church is the body of Christ. So watch getting bitter against the body of Christ or getting bitter against church. Have people done things wrong? Absolutely they have. We're not, nobody's in denial about that. We've all seen it, right? But listen, it's Christ, his body is his church. In fact, he calls it the fullness of him. Um, also, I want to say one more thing about the body. Do you, know, you ever met someone who's really uncoordinated as a kid, don't, point them out, maybe you, maybe someone else, you know, but you see someone and they're, they're, they're going along and they almost trip over themselves and they just don't have good coordination and you're not thinking, let's get them in the sports because they'd be really good. You're thinking, let's get them in the sports to get them coordinated, right, so that they have hand-eye coordination and brain and all of it works together, but other kids are just born coordinated. I don't know what it is. Like, like, like one of my boys, when he was born, I remember he was like one year old and he would take that thing and he would throw a straight line, like straight across and hit something. Right. And I'm like, man, how did he get to do that? He was just, he, he, he's coordinated. But do you know the body has to develop coordination? Do you know that the church has to develop coordination too? In fact, great teams, they run plays together. And they run them over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. They do the same play. And you're like, don't you already know that play? It's not knowing the play. It's being able to perform the play together. Listen, it's not knowing. I already know how that works. I already know how that works. It's not knowing it. It's can you work together in it to accomplish the play. The, the body of Christ needs to get coordination. Amen? Right, we need to get coordination and to work together. So I'm going to go through really quickly a series of questions here. 
uh, about the body. We're going to talk about the body, culture, gifts, leaders, and supper. You say, I'm ready for supper right now. Okay, but that's the last supper that is. Okay. Um, number one, the body, the body. And we'll just go through this quickly. Who did Jesus say would build the church and how secure would it be? Who did Jesus say would build the church? You don't have to open in your Bibles. I don't think you can open that quick. But we're going to have it up on the screens. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. So who said he's going to build the church? Jesus. And he said, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I've heard people making predictions for years. Oh, the church is going to fall apart. Oh, the church is... No, Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why? Because it's not us building the church. Do you know man couldn't tear down the church enough for it to be torn down? He builds the church, and if God builds the church, the church is going to be built. And so we're just going to uh, move right along with him. So he's the one building it, and the gates of Hades won't prevail. Who's the chief cornerstone? Well, in Ephesians chapter 2, let's read it. It says, uh, uh, now therefore you're no longer strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Somebody say, that's me. Yeah. Having then been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Read this with me. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So if someone's preaching to you something about church, but Jesus Christ isn't the, the cornerstone of it, don't hang out with them. <laughs> that's, that's a cult. That's something else, okay? Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Next one. What is a body of believers called? Well, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. It says, now you are, read it with me, the body of Christ. In fact, it may be a better term than church. Where do you go to church? Well, the church is the body of Christ. Because it would be very hard to say, oh, I don't believe in being a part of the body of Christ. Right? Well, I don't believe in organized religion. Well, what if God organized it? What if God organized? In fact, he said that he did. He put the members in their place as they would. So you don't believe in, in what God put together, Right? Well, I don't believe in man's organization. Well, God uses man, and I'm not saying man always gets it right, but there is something about what God put together called the church. So you are the body of Christ. The body of believers is called the body of Christ. Okay, next one. Who set the members in place? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14. It says, for in fact, the body is not one member, but many, right? You're sitting there individually as one member, but, but you wouldn't be the body, you would be a part or a piece of the body. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Or the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not, not part of the body, and we all know the answer to that. Look in verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, <laughs> that would look like that dude on Monsters, right? He's got the big eye right there. Okay, you don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay. I have little kids, okay. Um, um, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body would be hearing, could you just picture a big ear, you know, big, uh, okay. Uh, where would the smelling be, right? And, but God, notice this, but God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Would you read that out with me, verse 18? Let's read it together. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Hey, don't try to be someone else. Don't try to be someone else, and don't try to be where someone else is, right? I want to be where they are. Well, that's like the finger saying, I want to be where the toe is, or the toe saying, I want to be where the ear is. No, be where God's called you to be. Be content with where God's called you to be. Can I tell you, an ear is not going to make a great nose, right? Be who God's called you to be, and be where God has called you to be. 
And, he, and then he goes on and says, don't say I have no need of you because we all need, uh, he talks about presentable parts and unpresentable parts. There's parts of our bodies that you wouldn't want to be out there today coming to church, right? So you cover them up, <laughs> right? So there's presentable parts and there's unpresentable parts that he says. But then at the very last on verse 24, it says, but our presentable parts have no need, but God composed the body having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. So we need one another. Somebody say that with me. We need one another. Yes, we do. Next one. How much, of, how much does Christ love his church and how does he care for her? Well, if you look over in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, you hear that this at a lot of weddings. It says, wives love your husband. This says, husbands love your wife as Christ also loved the church. And I always say, Jesus, or God, did you have to give us that high of a standard? Right? Is that the model, really? But notice, he says, as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So what, how did Jesus love the church? Was it by word only? No, no. He goes on and says that he might sanctify, that he might cleanse with the washing of water by the word. Do you know that Jesus, if you're really listening, he said, my, my sheep hear my voice. If you're listening to his words, a lot of times he's going to be speaking his word over you that will wash you and clean you. Right? He's not, if it's Jesus' words, it's not, you no good, dirty scoundrel, loser, bum, piece of junk, right? That's not Jesus' words. What's he doing? He's speaking the word of God to you, right? So that's, that's what Jesus does with his church. He speaks well over his church. He says that I might, he might present it a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. He goes on and says down in verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh. Do you know Jesus doesn't hate his body? Jesus doesn't hate the church, so we shouldn't hate the church. If you have an attitude against the church, forgive today. Forgive today. Amen? Yeah. He says here, no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes. What does Jesus do? He nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. That's what he does. Thank you, Jesus, for nourishing me. Thank you, Jesus, for nourishing us and cherishing us and loving us. Amen. For we're his members, his body, is of his flesh, and of his bones. Uh, next question. How important is the unity of the Spirit and a unified body of believers? How important is it? You might say, well, it's very important. Well, look here in, in Scripture. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, endeavoring. That word it mean, it is literally spudazzo. It means strain every nerve to keep the unity to keep the unity. Why? What happens when a piece of your body is out of unity with itself? You ever had something in your back that's just a little bit out? You ever had something like a toe that you stubbed? This morning, I was wearing some, some, uh, some flip-flops today. Um, <laughs> I was wearing some flip-flops today, and I, and I, and, and I, I got a little uh, something on my skin that was kind of rubbed, and I went to go put on my shoes this morning, and I was like, ow, ow. Well, I, I, I didn't just say, well, that's just my foot. It ain't no big deal. No, I mean, I, I felt it everywhere, right? That there should be no, nothing, one part of my body is affected, all of it's affected. But what does he say here? He says, uh, endeavoring to keep the unity and the bond of peace, right? It's equilibrium, equal, that everything works together. He says, because there's one body, say one body. 
and one spirit, just as you were called in hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through you all. So how important is the unity in the body of Christ? Well, it's important. Why? Otherwise, everyone's affected. Your peace affects me. My peace affects you. Right? Our peace together affects one another. Your healing affects me. Right? Because we need to be in unity together. 1 Corinthians 12 says that there should be no schism. Somebody say schism. Yeah, kind of sounds funny, huh? Uh, that there should be no schism. What is that? It's a block or a barrier or, or something that holds back. There should be no schism in the body. But that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, what happens? All of them suffer. My foot was hurting this morning because of that little bitty scab. And by the way, baby, I couldn't find any Band-Aids, and I'm looking all over for Band-Aids, so I went out to the tool shop, and I, I put some electrical tape on it. Because I realized that's sort of like a Band-Aid. That's sort of like a Band-Aid, it kinda, isn't it? Anyway, it covered it. I didn't want, I didn't want no schism. I didn't want no schism. Okay. okay. He says, if one member suffers, then all the members suffer, and one member is honored, then all of them are honored. Hey, if you lose, I lose. If you win, I win. So what should I want for the person next to us? I want you to turn to somebody and just say, I want you to win. Come on, tell them, I want you to win. Yeah. Because it matters. It matters. It's important. By the way, when he says there's one body and one spirit, there's not a Baptist body. There's not, well, what are you? I'm Baptist, right? Well, there's not a, a Methodist, United Methodist. There's not a Southern Baptist body. There's not a Presbyterian body. There's not a, there's not a, a, a Lutheran body. There's not a charismatic body, right? There's not a, 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 there's not a, a Pentecostal body. You're like, oh, that's a weird, that's a weird. If we're weird, you're weird. If you're stuffy, we're stuffy. Why? Because we're one body. We're the body of Christ. If you're talking about the church down the street, you're talking about yourself. You're talking about the people down the street. You're talking about your mama, okay? You're talking about somebody that's in your family heritage. We're all together. We're one body. We're the body of Christ, somebody say. Amen. Okay. All right. One body, body of Christ. No schism. Somebody say no schism. Okay. Proverbs chapter, Proverbs chapter uh, 7 or Proverbs chapter uh, 6, excuse me, lists seven things that are an abomination to God. An abomination to God. Uh, I want you to just look at number seven. It says, uh, the one who sows discord among brethren. One who sows discord. What, what's discord? Well, I, it may not exactly be this, but I like music, and, and they, they would have something that's consonants and then dissonance. Dissonance is something that's like, it's like someone who's sowing discord trying to create problems, trying to stir it up because you didn't really like what happened, so I'm just going to stir I'm just going to sometimes abstaining from peace and not just saying anything to make peace. What happens? It says and it's an abomination to the Lord. It made it in his top seven. What's the result of envy and self-seeking? James chapter 3, it says, where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion. Somebody say Confusion. And every evil thing are, are where? Where? Where, where envy and self-seeking are. Do you know, you don't, like I, you've heard me say, you don't need to play with a Ouija board or need to have a seance to, ha to, to pull in the demonic. You can just be, have envy and self-seeking. And there's confusion. 
and there's evil, that you've just invited evil in. You ever walked into something and you're like, the atmosphere's funky. It's just weird. Something's off, right? No, that's because of selfishness and self-seeking and envy. So what do you have to do? You have to be pure. You have to be humble. You have to repent. You have to go make it right, right? Because unity is where the Lord, just like your body needs unity, this body needs unity. Christ's body needs unity. Next one. What is the result of unity uh, and what does God command in response? What is the result? Well, we love Psalm 133. It says, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. How good it is. And then he says it's like two things. It's like the oil and it's like the dew. The oil refreshes you. And by the way, the oil starts, he says, it's like the oil that, that starts on the head of Aaron and flows down his beard and goes down. By the way, the oil or the anointing, we would say, of the Holy Spirit, it flows from the top down. Right? Which means it should be in a body of Christ. It should flow over your whole body. And then he says, and it's like the dew of Hermon uh, descending upon the mountain of Zion. For there the Lord commands the blessing. Where the Lord sees unity, he commands blessing. Do you know what division is? Division is divided vision. It's, it's a vision that's divided. And, and Jesus said the house that's divided cannot, cannot fill. Whether it be your house that you're in and you have division, it's dividing your vision. And where there's, no, where there's division, there's no provision. Where there's, where there's division, there is no unity. You can't move forward with division. So what, what do you need to do? You need to eliminate division. You need to strain every nerve to say... I'm not sure. I know what they're saying is true, but i got to strive to keep the unity. Why? Because without the unity, we lose the anointing. Without the unity, we lose the presence of God. Without the unity, we lose the commanded blessing of God. He said, for there the Lord commands a blessing upon his people. Okay, so that's all about the body. Somebody say, I'm, the, I'm part of the body of Christ. Yeah. Okay, number two is culture, the culture. What did Jesus pray for all believers and how would the world respond? Well, he said in John 17, he says, I don't pray for these alone, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through my word, that they may all be one. What is that? Unified. Unity. He said, I pray that the body of Christ would be unified. Why did he pray it? Because there would probably be a tendency that it would get out of joint. So he said, I pray that they would all be one. And what would be the result? He said that the world would believe that you've sent me. When the world looks at the church, and if the churches can be unified, what happens? It's a witness. It's, in fact, it's the best witness to the world. What four things did the early church continue to do? By the way, Jesus said, don't go out and witness, but stay in the, and, and gather together until the Holy Spirit's poured upon you. After the Holy Spirit was poured upon them in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says, it didn't say then they scattered. No, it says they continued steadfastly in, and notice these four things, the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And like I've said before, that word apostles' doctrine, it's really apostles' doctrine and fellowship. In other words, the fellowship is around what's being preached. The fellowship is around the doctrine. It's around that we're, we're not just fellowshipping like, what did you do on Friday night? No, it's doctrine and fellowship, and it's the breaking of bread, like communion, the Lord's Supper, and prayers. That's what they continued steadfastly in. How did the church gather together, and how did the church grow? Well, it says, so they continued, or excuse me, how often did they gather together? They continued, somebody say daily. Daily with one accord in the temple. Notice, daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread and breaking bread from house to house. How often did they come together? Daily. Oh, two times a week is a lot for me to come together. 
it's just a lot for me to come together. Well, how about daily? How about we start daily and then kind of back it off to six days and then five days and then four days and then you're like, two days is easy. Yeah, but they went daily. Look at They gathered together daily in the temple and from house to house and they ate their food with gladness and simplicity. They, they kept it simple. Simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all the people and notice what happened. The Lord added to the church daily. Somebody say daily. They gathered daily. They, they were the church daily, and the Lord added to the church daily. As they came together with their heart, one heart, one soul, the Lord added to the church. How did the early church view their possessions, and what was the result of it? Well, Acts chapter 4. It says, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart. Somebody say, one heart and one soul. They were of one heart and one soul. Right? Uh, rock and roll or R&B may think they came up with heart and soul, but listen, he says right here, the book of Acts, they were of one heart and one soul. One heart and one soul, and neither did any of them uh, uh, take any, see any of the possessions, uh, look at the possessions as their own, but they had all things in common, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection and the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all, nor was there anyone who lacked so how did they view their possessions and their things? They viewed it as, if you're lacking, I'm lacking. If you're hurting, I'm hurting. If you're going through it, then I'm going through it. And what happened? Nobody lacked as a result. They were unselfish. What and how must we speak in order for others, there's a lack of an S there, but others to grow? What and how must we speak? Well, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says this. But speaking, read it with me, speaking the truth in love may grow up. Somebody might just say, this person needs to grow up. Well, how are they going to grow up? You need, may need to grow up. How do you need to grow up? We may need to grow up. How do we grow up? Truth and love. Speaking the truth. Somebody just says, I just tell it like it is. But are you doing it in love? Somebody else says, I don't want to offend him. Only God can judge. So I'm just going to love him. But are you speaking the truth? Because people really don't grow up if they don't have the truth. And they're really not going to receive it unless they hear it in love, right? Speaking the truth in love. Somebody just say this. I speak the truth in love. So grow up, right? Speak. That's how we grow. That's how we grow. Speaking the truth in love. Um, what did Jesus say to do if, some, if someone has something against you? What did Jesus say to... <laughs> read, read the Bible there. What did... <laughs> What did Jesus say to do if someone has something against you? What, what, what did he say to do? Well, it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, and there remember your brother has something against you. You, you come into worship, you come in to serve, you come in to do something, and all of a sudden you remember, ah, this guy has something against me. What do you do? He's saying, stop what you're doing. Pull out your phone and text them or call them or go to their house. Do whatever you need to do, but make it right. Why? No division. No division. I'll get to them on Tuesday. No. Do, do you want two more days of division and pain? No. Immediately. He's saying walk out of service, get on the phone, and say, I apologize. I want to get it right. Why? No division. We should have no conflict and no division in our hearts. We should take care. We should be able to take care of it immediately. Notice what he says. Jesus said this. If, if you bring your gift and you remember that your brother has something against you, that's not you to them, but they, or, or it's, it's they have something against you, leave your gift, go your way, and first be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. In other words, unity is more important than what you serve in God. 
Well, well, I want to do something for God. You want to do something for God? Go ask for forgiveness. You want to do something for God? Go straighten it out Straighten it out with your brother or your sister or the person that you offended. Well, they're not going to get it right. Well, you better get it right in your own heart. The word says, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Why? Paul said, I always strive that I can have a pure conscience before God and before man. Why? Because you don't want there to be any division in you or with the people that you're with. Division. Is, is we just have to keep it out. So what, do you, what did Jesus say to do if someone sins against you? Matthew chapter 18. Someone sins against you. Matthew 18, 15 says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go tell, the, go tell everybody about it and gossip. Is that what it says? No. It says that there's four stages here. Number one, go directly to your brother and tell them, it says, and tell them his fault between you and him alone. Somebody say alone. Well, I want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. No, Jesus said, if someone sins against you, go to them alone, privately. Correct in private, praise in public. Correct in private, praise in public. Go to him alone, one-on-one. And if he hears you, you've gained a brother. But if, it, if he didn't hear you, it says, if he will not hear, take one or two more with him, because by the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. And it says, and if he refuses to hear to the two or three, tell it to the church. Well, what it doesn't mean is go gossip to everybody in the church. Well, that, guy's a, that guy sucks, and this guy's off, and he's doing this. No, you're not talking, he's just a backbiter. and he's a, No, you're actually sinning with your mouth when you do that. When he says tell it to the church, I believe, you, you, may, you may get a leader involved in on that. And say, hey, there's a situation. I went and talked to him personally. I went and brought it to, to. In fact, sometimes, every once in a while, someone will come to me and say they have a problem with somebody. And you know the very first thing I'll ask them is, did you go to them? Did you talk to them? Well, no. Well, then why are you talking to me? In fact, I'll go with you. Let's go talk to him right now. Oh, no, no, no. Pastor, I need to pray about that. Okay. Well, no, go right to them and get it. Because if you can work it out with them, that's the way you want to do it. If not, bring one or two. And if not, bring in a leader or somebody. That's how you go to the church. You wouldn't start gossiping. And then if the church won't listen, if, or, or if they won't listen to more people or to the leaders or whatever that's involved, then what do you do? You write them off. I'm not saying write them off as a person. I'm saying, he said, treat them as you would Pharisees and tax collectors. In other words, don't fellowship with them anymore. Don't try to win them anymore. Just move your own way. Don't talk bad about them, but move forward as a brother, but at least you've done the things you want. I don't mean write them off as a person. Jesus would never write us off, but you understand. It means don't keep trying because some people can never let go of someone who won't forgive them. You have to let it go and move forward. Let it go, let it go. Don't hold it back anymore. Okay, body, culture, number three is gifts, gifts. What are the five gifts that Jesus gave to the church? Ephesians chapter 4. Jesus said he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. So there's what we would call the five-fold ministry or the five office gifts. What is the purpose of these gifts? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So the office of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher is to equip the saints, to give the saints the tools they need. That's why I'm giving you things that you need to do the work of the ministry, to go minister. The majority of ministry is not going to be in this house. This house is just an equipping house for you to go out and do ministry. Real ministry, ministry is happening in the house, but it's a majority of the ministry is where you spend the majority of your time. It's outside the house. So to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's what the five office gifts would be, what we'd call office gifts. 
What is the result when the church is operating effectively? Well, it says in verse 13, till we all come into the unity and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man with the fullness of Christ, so that we wouldn't be children tossed to and fro, but we would grow up into the head. Right? Those are all the things that, that when, minister, when people are ministering the way and the church is operating and coordinating the way that God's called them to, what's going to happen? We're going to grow up. We're going to be mature. There's going to be something on us with unity and knowledge and fullness of Christ. How many members of the body... Are you still with me? Thank you for staying with me. How many, how many members of the body have a part to play? Well, Ephesians says, which every part, every joint supplies, every part does its share. Every person has a part to play. Every person in here is called to ministry. Every person in here, and if he's called you to Memphis Tabernacle, he's called you to do some, I'm not saying you're limited by the ministry here, but some of your ministry is here. Why? Because he's called you to this body. So every one of you are called to be in ministry here if, if, he's, if he's called you to this church, right? But you're called somewhere to be a part of the body. Every member is. Um, what are the seven gifts that God uniquely gifted individuals? And this is how primarily you'd serve in those areas. It says, for we have many members in one body, but all the members don't have the same function. Uh, so we're one body in Christ and individual members of one another, having then di gifts differing according to the grace. And here's the seven gifts. He says, if it's prophesy, prophecy, let us prophesy. If it's uh, ministering or serving, if it's teaching, if it's exhortation, there's a gift of giving, there's a gift of leading, and there's a gift of, we would also call it administration, or there's a gift of mercy. So there's seven gifts that we see here. Prophecy, ministering, teaching, exhortation or encouraging, of giving, of leading, or of mercy. And you might say, but I could never do that, so I could never. You can do one of these things because every one of you, God has wired you to do one or more of these things. What do you have to do? You have to find out what he's called you to do and begin to ministering. What did the apostles say they should give their full attention to? This is the apostles, the leaders, they're teaching. It says the 12, in uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 2, it says the 12 apostles called a meeting together. Basically what happened was there was Greek-speaking Jews and there was Hebrew-speaking Jews. And the uh, Greek-speaking Jews um, were, um, were experiencing some um, um, discrimination because the Hebrew-speaking Jews were like, oh, you speak Hebrew, I'm going to feed you first. And so they weren't feeding their widows. And so the Greek-speaking Jews are saying, you're not feeding our widows. What's going on? Well, they brought the problem to the apostles, and the apostles are like, man, I don't think we should stop and try to settle this whole thing and serve tables and do this. So he said, they said, we're going to appoint other people to do it so that we can give ourselves continually to the word of God in prayer. Why? Because the power is in the word of God in prayer. But there are, what were they saying? But there are people who are called to business. There are people who are called to these other things. And if they can step up and do their part, we can step up and do our part and we'll see the body of Christ function together. But what did he say? He said, uh, it's not advantageous for us to be pulled away from the word of God. He goes on and says, uh, it says, that will enable us, it, it will enable us to give our full attention to prayer and to the preaching of the word. What were the qualifications to appoint those for business? Well, nowadays, people might say, well, they have to be good with finances and no business. You know, back then, here, those who were called to do the business of the church, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about everything from cleaning to repairs to fixing to serving to greeting. These were the things that the people had to do. They had to, number one, they had to have a good reputation. 
Number two, they had to be full of the Holy Spirit. And number three, they had to be full of wisdom. So he said, I want you. In fact, they said, we're not even going to go find those seven people, but I want you. They assessed they needed about seven. They said, you, find seven people who have a good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. Bring them back to us. We'll lay our hands on them and commission them to do the business. Notice how serious they even just took the work of the the. The, 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 like, like it wasn't like, oh, you have a low position. No, they were saying, no, you need to be full of the Holy Spirit to clean a toilet. You need to be full of faith to be able to repair that door over there. You need to be full. Why? Because, because it was used, you're used by God. And so you had to have a good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom. Uh, how did the church respond? Well, the Bible says everyone in the church loved the idea. And so they chose seven men, and one was, notice who the emphasis was, one was Stephen, who was known as a man of faith and overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Notice, he wasn't too good to wait on tables. He was overflowing with the Word. He was overflowing with the Spirit. But they said, and so Stephen, and then they named six other men they didn't say as much about. But what happened through Stephen, who wasn't an apostle, while he was out there serving, what happened to him? Well, it says in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, Stephen was full of faith and power, and he did great wonders and signs among the people. He was out there serving and doing his ministry, and he's seeing signs and wonders. That's happened. So the signs and the wonders weren't, weren't just through the apostles. They were through people. You can be out there, you know, uh, taking care of a kid in the nursery, rocking a baby, and you're full of the Holy Spirit, and there's signs and wonders that are happening. Don't limit those things to certain people or to certain uh, positions. What resulted when people were activated and God's word spread? What resulted? Well, the Bible says in Acts 6 uh, verse 8, God's word reigned supreme and kept spreading. Why? Because the apostles didn't pull away from it. They valued God's word so much and they valued the presence of God in prayer so much that they said, we're going to have to appoint other people so that we can stay with what we're doing. The number of Jesus' followers in Jerusalem quickly grew and increased by the day. Even a great number of Jewish priests became believers and were obedient to the faith. When the gifts were released and and were in operation and when the focus of the leaders... See, I can tell you, if people don't step up and do what areas that God's called them to do, I'll tell you what it does is I end up doing it or someone else ends up and spending most of the week taking care of all the business and all the, all the types of stuff and then what ends up happening? Well, the word of God suffers and, the, and prayer suffers and things suffer. So what is he saying? He's saying, let, let those who are called to do that, do that and let those who are called to this, do that. There's things that you can do easier that I couldn't do. Hallelujah. Right? And not just me and we're talking about um, all ministry because we're all called to ministry. Amen? Okay. What is the, or leaders. Let's talk about leaders for a minute. Leaders. What did Paul tell Titus to do to appoint in every city? Well, Titus 1.5 says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking, and notice, appoint elders. Appoint elders in every city. We have city elders here. But but the Lord wants there to be elders in every single city. Why? So that you don't have to travel to get an elder. You have someone that's close to home. Um, what is the function of an elder in the church? Well, First Peter 5 says the elders who are among you, notice the elders live close or they're close. I exhort as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and also 
partakers of the glory to be revealed. Verse uh, 2, it says 2, and here's the function of an elder. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. I'm going to drop my kids off at your house. They're my kids. Take care of them. Elders are supposed to take care of people. Elders are supposed to take care of people. It says, shepherd the flock of God which is among, among you, serving as overseers. So one of the things they do, they serve as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly. So one of the things they do is they're willingly. Another thing he says is eagerly. And another thing he says, uh, not as lording over but being an example. So elders are examples. They're caring. They're nurturing. They're willing. They're serving as overseers. They're helping people through situations and problems. Do you believe that the church needs elders? You think that was just back there, or do you think the church needs elders today? Yeah, he needs elders today. How should we treat spiritual overseers, okay, overseers in the church? How should we treat them? 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 12 says this, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you. Recognize them. Uh, I would just say, even practically, don't ignore them. You see a leader walk through the room, you stop and go, hey, how are you doing? Hey, I'm glad you're here today. I mean, you recognize them. I've, I've just always had a practice that when I see a leader that walks through, I'll stop and go, hey, Bill. I'm in a conversation. Hey, Bill, glad you're here today. Yeah. I recognize it. I just stop and recognize And By the way, I'm not, uh, I don't need all of you before you leave to go, hey, Pastor. <laughs> That's not why I'm saying that. I'm just saying there's a practical element of that. Recognize those. Recognize those. Um, and he says, who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Who's over? Don't, don't answer this. Who's over, the, who's over you in the Lord? Well, ain't nobody over me but Jesus. No, no, no. The word says somebody's over you in the Lord. Because if nobody's over you in the Lord, you're not protected. God's put somebody over you in the Lord. So he says, what do you do? He says, recognize those who are over you in the Lord and admonish you. What does admonish? It's correct you. Well, I don't like them because they correct me. What if you need correction? I don't know about you. I need correction. Do you need correction? How many need correction in here at times? I'm not saying constantly hound you or look over your shoulder, but I'm saying over you in the Lord, they cover you. They protect you. They're there for you. I'm not talking about uh, uh, heavy shepherding or something that someone's like, you're going to buy a car? You better come check with me first. You're going to buy a house? You better, you're going to date somebody? You come check with me first. No, people can get crazy about that stuff. I'm talking about who just covers you. They oversee you in the Lord. It's a, it's a covering. It's a, not a cover-up. It's a covering. It's someone who's saying, I got your back. I'm with you, okay? He says, and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and notice this, esteem them very highly for their work's sake. Why? It's not easy to correct people. It's not easy to call people into attention. It's not easy to preach the word every week, a different message. It's not easy to do ministry all the time if you're going to do it the right way. So what does he say? Esteem them. Think they're a big deal. Um, by the way, I'm not saying it, of course, for me. I'm just saying it out of the word. It's important for us to esteem wherever you go to church. Whatever, whoever's in the body of Christ, if you have leaders, esteem them. Why? Because they're serving the Lord. They are God's agents. And so make sure that you recognize them and be at peace among yourselves. Hebrews chapter 13, verse uh, 7. What's another, how should we treat them? The Bible says, remember those who rule over you. Remember those. Uh, you know, there's times where we'll come up and it's uh, Christmas or it's, or it's something and someone will write me a card and just says, I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciate it. By the way, again, I'm not looking for a card. I'm not looking for anything. That's, it's not, I'm not talking about me here. I'm just talking about going out of the word. That he's saying, remember those. Don't just remember your family. Remember the people who lead you spiritually. 
That's what one of the things he says, and, and rule over you. Notice, I know he uses some heavy language that we wouldn't use, but I'm just going to read the word. And rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, right? Another thing is he says, and it even gets deeper here in Hebrews 13, 17, it says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive. You're like, you're hitting all the wrong words today. I don't like any of those words. Well, sometimes we don't like those words because there's pride we're dealing with. Sometimes we don't like the, well, no, it's because no, it's I've been hurt. I know, I've been hurt too. But I'll tell you what, just because someone's got hurt by their parent doesn't mean we don't need parents. Just because someone's been hurt by a pastor doesn't mean you don't need pastors, right? We need to come back and say, he says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive as those who watch out for your souls who must give account. Leaders are accountable. I'm going to stand before Jesus, and he may ask me about you one day, right? So i got to be truthful. Right? As those who must give up account. And then in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.25, it says pray for us. Another thing you should do is when you're praying for your situations and your needs and all the things that are going on, pray for your leaders as well. How should the elders with leadership duties be treated? Well, it says in 1 Timothy 5.17, the elders who perform their leadership duties well are to be considered worthy of double honor, financial support. Not, not just, oh, oh, double on, I honor you. No, he says financial support. In other words, take care of them financially. And I praise the Lord that the Lord's always taking care of me and uh, financially. He says, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching the word of God concerning eternal sal- salvation through Christ. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. He's saying, you take care of the ox, make sure to take care of your pastors. Make sure to take care of your leaders too. It's a command of the Lord, right? He says, and to, uh, and to keep it from eating, and the worker is worthy of his wages because he deserves. Some churches say, um, we'll keep them poor, you keep them humble. You know, well, that, that, praise God, I don't, I don't go to that church. <laughs> I don't go to those churches, right? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not living rich off the church or anything like that, but I can tell you, we believe in a church that believes in honor. We honor one another. We honor our leaders, amen? Um, other churches sometimes, you know, say, um, you know, they'll say the way you take care of ministers rec- represents the way you take care of God. You know, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying they're God. They're not God, but they are a representative of God in our lives. So those who minister are worthy of double honor. So make sure to, wherever you go to church, if you don't go to church here, if you're just visiting today, make sure to take care of your leaders. Um, how should accusations be handled concerning an elder? You post it on Facebook. Is that what it says? No. No, it's a... Is that what it says? No. <laughs> That's what I thought it said because sometimes I'll see. Okay. He says, 1 Timothy chapter 5, do not accept an accusation against an elder unless it's based on two or three witnesses. Don't accept an accusation. And it says, um, and by the way, if, the, if there are elders who continue to walk in sin, you know, if they're in, in something, they're in an affair, or in a, it says reprimand them. It didn't say give them an easy pass. It says reprimand them. He's talking to Timothy, and he says, make sure, call him on it, right? So, but those who are doing well, um, don't just receive. By the way, there's so much sound bites out there and things that are out there that are just trying to get our attention about ministers that are out there. Just because someone did a documentary on it, just because someone did that and they have a couple of people that they think, don't receive that kind of stuff. Let go of that stuff and pray for those people because if we have the heart of God, the Bible says if you ever see someone who's, who's, who's falling, overtaken in a fall, they are a brother. They are a sister still. He says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one with a spirit of meekness. Call them if you need to call it out. 
but restore such a one. Always have a heart for restoration. Um, last of all, the Lord's Supper. I just got a couple here on, or a few here on this. The Lord's Supper, communion. At the Last Supper, what did Jesus do with the bread, and what did he say? Well, it says in Matthew 26, so this literally is the Last Supper before he gave his life. It says, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread. So what did he do? He took it, he blessed it, he broke it. He did three things. He took it, he blessed it, he broke it. That's why we do those three things. And then he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. This is my body. Obviously, it was like bread or it was whatever that he was handing them, but he was saying, this is my body, uh, which, was, which is broken for you. This is just about what's to happen, and they didn't really understand it until it came up. It says, what did Jesus do uh, with the cup? And what did he say? Well, he took the cup. Notice he took it. He gave thanks, and he gave it to them, and he said, drink it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. Well, if there's a new covenant, then there was an old covenant. He's saying, there's a new covenant. There's a new sheriff in town. There's, a new, there's new rules. There's new something that's coming in town. It's, it's grace. We're under the law of grace now in our lives. So he's saying, every time you receive this blood, stop and thank God for his grace that's been poured out in your life. And what should you do every time you receive communion? Um, or no, it says, uh, what does 1 Corinthians say happens when we receive communion? Well, as often as you receive it, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What you're doing is you're saying Jesus died on the cross. He gave his life for me. He was wounded for my transgressions, bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement for my peace was upon him. By his stripes I'm healed. You're proclaiming the Lord's death over your life. You're appropriating all that he did into your life. Um, what should you do every time you receive communion? Well, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight says, let a man examine himself. Somebody say, examine himself. Check your heart. Make sure your heart's pure. Make sure your heart's right. And if you need to repent of something, stop and repent of it. Examine yourself. And what could be the results if we receive communion in an unworthy manner? Uh, not good. It says, he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself not discerning the Lord's body for listen for this reason he says three things people get weak people get sick and people die if you receive communion and you don't and, and you're not doing it in you're not examining yourself and you're not doing it in the right way you could die because of that I know that's pretty extreme but I'm just reading it okay um, let me just ask you this last question what did you learn about Christ Church, and what are you going to do about it? What did you learn? Just bow your heads right where you are. What, what, did you, what is something that spoke to you about Christ Church? What is something that caught your heart? about? Maybe for some it's, gosh, maybe I, I'm not against the church. I'm just passive. But I don't realize that maybe part of my struggle is that I, I need other brothers and sisters. I need people. Maybe, maybe for some the Lord's been leading you to get into a small group. And you need to jump in and be, I'm, I'm in a small group every Friday. You need to be in a group with other people and fellowship with them. Open your heart up to them. Father, I pray for every person that's in here. You love the beautiful body of Christ. And God, I pray as a lead pastor here at Memphis Tabernacle that you would bring unity. Would you pray that with me? Would you bring unity, Lord, to this church? And I thank you for the beautiful spirit of unity that's on this body. 
<laughs> I thank you that we have clean air in here. I thank you that we have a clean atmosphere in the Spirit. And I thank you for the presence of God that's here. I pray that the love of Jesus would permeate, permeate this whole campus. I pray that the love of Jesus would permeate even the airwaves, Lord, as, as podcasts and YouTube and as people watch, that they would sense the presence of God and healing would take place. Deliverance would take place. Forgiveness would take place. Salvation would take place today. And we thank you for the beautiful body of Christ. Would you say this with me today? Thank you, Jesus, for your body. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Thank you, Jesus, for my spiritual family. Show me my place. Show me my part. Thank you that I get to be a part of the body of Christ. In Jesus' name. And I'd like for us to say this today. This is the way that Romans says we get saved. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. There's two things. One comes out of your mouth. One is that you believe. It's not enough to do one. You have to do both. I believe that Jesus came to this earth, the Son of God, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and was raised again on the third day for my sins and my salvation. So I receive him as the Lord of my life. I want you to say this together with me today, all of us. Can we say, Jesus, I confess you as my Lord and the ruler of my life. I repent of my sins and my own way, and I turn to you. I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. I believe you died for me and were raised again on the third day. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. And if you did, I'd like to ask you to subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. God bless you, and I'll see you next time on the Memphis Tabernacle Podcast. Yeah.